Well, you've no doubt heard the expression, it's not brain surgery. Well, our guest today is a brain surgeon. Dr. Justin Moore is a professor of neurosurgery at Monash University and the chairman for neurosurgery at Monash Health. He was awarded a John Monash scholarship to Oxford University in the UK, where he completed a PhD in neurogenomics. We've had him on the podcast before, and he was that good the first time. We've welcomed him back today because the listeners demanded to hear more. Justin Moore, welcome back to the Scholars Podcast. Thanks so much. Great to be here. Uh, what a kind introduction. And welcome home back to Australia from Boston. So um, we're glad to have you back. Certainly the weather's better here, so I'm very happy to be back. Now, I'm going to no doubt embarrass you first of all. Um, Justin, can you please run through your academic qualifications for us? Because I've seen your email signature and there's about 25 letters after your name. So I don't want to miss out on anything. So over to you. Uh, not, not a problem. Um, so as you mentioned, I have a, a PhD in neurogenomics from Oxford. Uh, I also have a law degree. Uh, I also have a, a Bachelor of Medical Science. Uh, I also have an MPH, which is a Master's of Public Health from Harvard uh, in, in the States. I have an MBA, which is a, a Master's of uh, Business Administration from uh, MIT uh, in the States. Uh, I have a FRAX, which means I'm a fellow of the Royal Australasian College of Surgeons in Neurosurgery. So that's the um, uh, sort of training program in neurosurgery. That is quite a mouthful. Does take a little while to say. That's why I like the uh, little acronyms. It makes it easy to write down. <laughs> well, you've had a diverse academic journey, which encompasses medicine, the law, neuroscience. So, how did this multidisciplinary approach shape your perspective on neurosurgery and medical research? I think it, it, it's it's definitely sort of. A, a, gives you a unique sort of look at, at the problems in neurosurgery. I think where there's a lot of often opportunity, interest, challenge is in the edges between specialties. So for example, you know, when law and medicine uh, sort of bumps up against one another, you know, that's an area where there's a lot of opportunities where, you know, medicine and science and science and law bump up. That's another, that's another set of opportunities. Same with business. Once you sort of bump that up, you know, you can it, it gives you different ideas. And I'll give you an example, for example. Something that, you know, you often don't, it, 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 when you're just doing medicine, one of the things you don't sort of realize is if you do medicine and research, you come up with a, a you know, a cool new thing. It could be a new device or it could be, a you know, a, a medication, new drug, something like that. The sort of, you think you need to, you know, sort of get it, you know, it has to leave academia. But, you know, once you've done sort of business aspect, you realize that actually there's a lot of contracts that you can set up between universities and healthcare systems to then spin that idea off into a company. And that might be another way to develop it if you can't get sort of academic or government funding. So I think, you know, it gives you sort of insights there. And, and, and it's the same same with neurosurgery. Like, you know, as the area sort of develops, like one of the things I'm very interested in is to, to sort of maximize how many patients you can treat, you really need to sort of understand how the healthcare system works so you can optimize, you know, where the where the resources are flowing so you can have maximal impact. If you don't sort of understand those flows, then it's it's very hard to, to maximize the impact that you could have. So that that's very, very useful. And similarly in the law, 
if you, you know that that applies to all these sort of areas. So you, you have a much better idea of you know what patients need to know and how you inform them, and you know what you need to to make sure is you know documented and those sort of things. But then you also know you know where if you wanted to have a spin off, you know there's, there's a bunch. You know you have to start put up a corporation, you have to build these sort of things. So you also understand the legal background behind that. So there is value adds. Uh, you know, I don't think everybody needs to be on the edge, but I definitely think that on the edge of these sort of domains, it is a very interesting area. Because I can understand the obvious link between business and law and medicine and science, but you've you've done you've done the lot. Is that um is that common or is it would you say that is quite rare? It, it is quite rare because you know you can be an you know you can be an excellent surgeon or, or doctor. You don't you don't need to you know know any you know no, no details you know details about the law or or have, have you know a lot of business knowledge per se. Uh, but I think it is important that there is some people that connect to those sort of domains because you also act even in a, like an organisation you often act as a bit of an interpreter. You know, uh, and so you know if someone. You know, if a recent, you know, if one of my colleagues comes up with something, they may ask me, you know, what do you think about commercialization? And even though I won't give them formal legal advice, I can sort of point them in the right direction and say, you know, these are the things you need to think about. Whereas, you know, not everyone has to do that, but I think it's good that, you know, we have a few of these people around. You're a dangerous amateur. <laughs> exactly. A little bit of knowledge is a, it is a dangerous thing. Although I would say it's not a little bit of knowledge. There's a lot of, no, it's a, there's a lot there. What about some of your insights, Justin, from your time at Oxford where you did your PhD? How did your research contribute to the understanding of neurodevelopment and, and tumour formation, for example? Yeah, so I was, I was, you know, I did a very pure research uh, PhD in the lab, so I was, you know, doing a lot of wet, wet lab experiments. So it sort of worked on multiple levels, so there's sort of the the outcome, which was I defined, you know, a set of genes um, which were involved in these processes, neurodevelopment, and when aberrantly expressed, could be involved in tumors. And so, you know, they became potential targets, uh, you know, to to manipulate, and they're, they're currently being investigated. Um, so that was that sort of the, the sort of formal outcome. So, you know, you sort of, you know, happy with that. But I think there's a lot more you get, you know, that I learned about it, uh, learned from my PhD. It was also like you actually learn when, as a doctor, I'm looking at like new treatments that come up. You know, I actually know how a Western blot's made or I know how, you know, genomic sequencing is done. And so you get an idea, you have a much stronger idea of like, is this paper legitimate or not? And should I apply it to my patients or not? So I think that's, you know, very handy. And I think the the other uh, part of like a PhD is, you know, there's a lot of problem solving. Like, you know, when, when you look at the final papers, they all look like neat. There's a nice story there. But, you know, there's a lot of trial and error there and problem solving that goes on. And so they're very transferable skills. So I think that's, you know, that's something to take is, you know, at the end of at the PhD, you, I realize like any problem, you, you could you can get around it, if you, you know, with enough time and energy and, and, and ideas, you, you'll come up with something. So that's a big confidence boost because, you know, in the OR, we have lots of micro problems. Like you know, every patient's different. It, it, you know, they're not cookie cutter approaches. So you have to be ready to to flex when something happens. And so being, you know, sort of learning how to dynamically problem solve in in an agile manner is sort of critical both in the lab and also in you know in surgery. So they sort of really you know sort of help one another out that way. You did your PhD as a result of the John Monash scholarship you were awarded a scholarship would you would you say that that 
time in your life was life-changing? Oh, absolutely. I mean, to, to, to have the opportunity to, to go overseas to one of the world's best universities and, you know, really deeply get involved in like cutting-edge research, you know, it's definitely sort of a, a once-in-a-lifetime a opportunity, especially, you know, at that age where, you know, you sort of have some more flexibility and you can then apply it, you know, all the way through your career. So, the, the, the skills and lessons I learned uh, at that time, you know, that they've helped me become, you know, the, like the professor and head of Unity. I'm still using those skills. Um, so, I think that was, you know, you, you, I can't overestimate, uh, you know, how important that was. And I think the other thing too is, you know, for me, I, w- I wasn't in a position where I would have been able to, you know, self-fund that sort of that sort of journey. So to have uh, Monash do that was, um, you know, you know, as absolute godsend. That was the only way I could have done it. So I think, you know, I think it's an amazing opportunity. And you know, whenever I run into scholars, you know, I think one of the one of the common uh, bonds that we all have is, you know, that it was such an amazing opportunity. And you really feel that you need to give back. And you know, you were just mentioning by return from Boston. You know, a part of that return from Boston was, you know, I felt that I'd learned a lot in my time in the States and, I, and you know, I wanted to make sure that I could give back to the Australian community. And I think part of that bond is comes from the Monash, you know, the, the Monash helped, helped me get, get, get out there and, and see the world. And so, it's important to bring back those findings and understanding so it can improve life here. So, you know, I think it's, a, it, it's super valuable. And I think many of the scholars feel a similar connection uh, to, to getting skills and bringing them back to make you know the Australian society stronger and better. Well, let's talk about that briefly, if if we can. That is part of the ethos of the the scholarship and the the foundation of awarding the the, the future leaders of tomorrow and then getting them to give back to Australia. So, how do you think you have been doing that since you've done your PhD? Yeah, so I think you know one of them is in the in the uh, you know directly like as, as a as a doctor and a surgeon. I'm I'm one of those of those doctors, fortunate or unfortunate, that I, I remove strokes and things like this. So I, you know I'm often coming in the middle of the night to uh, pull uh, clots out of um, you know out of brains, and you know it's quite remarkable. It's almost biblical in that you know people that are completely paralyzed down one side all of a sudden you know have a near a near complete recovery on that side. And so I think, you know, that's one way you can give back directly. Like, you know, you do the hard yards, you see the patients, you make sure they have good outcomes, get them back into back to their lives. But then I think there's there's lots of other ways. And I think one of the the, the other ways of sort of, you know, giving back is like when you come back. So for me, you know, I'm already involved in, you know, the Monash. Monash is trying to build up an innovation ecosystem. Uh, and so coming from Boston and from Stanford, you know, these are you know sort of the top world class innovation ecosystem. So, I'm trying to take what I learned there and, and you know, and, and and apply it and give it to the team here at Monash to sort of build that up as well. So, I think, you know, the, the skills come in, in various ways uh, and some of them, um, you know, some of them you could only get overseas and bring back, but the idea is you can bring them back and then, you know, people that don't necessarily go overseas, not everyone wants to do that or, or can do that. Um, they still have access to all those opportunities and benefits. So I think that's a very important thing: is learn and bring back and distribute, and then learn something else, bring it back, distribute. And I, I'm a big, uh, I'm a big fan of that. I don't really want to ask you to pick favourites, but you've studied at Oxford, Harvard, MIT, Stanford, and and universities in Australia. What's um, 
instead of a favorite, maybe can you talk through a unique experience at one of those that's become instantly memorable and you know makes for a good story yes i i would i would say probably so you know they're all fantastic it's a, it's a bit like children and you know i'm i do a lot of <laughs> i do a lot of research with my uh, with my university so i only go you know i only attended universities that i thought could really add value and 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 you know were, were very you know um, super high quality in the in the area and but one one thing I would say is uh, something that sticks out like that was when I was at Stanford, uh, I was um, I, I had the opportunity to to go along for they have a course there called the Biodesign Design Course, and I managed to you know sort of go along and and, and participate in that as as faculty at the time, um, and you know what it opened my eyes up to was the the whole sort of healthcare entrepreneurial world. And this sort of alternate way of bringing research and ideas into into being. So, you know, as a as a pretty you know hardcore um, uh, sort of a surgeon academic, you know, I hadn't really thought too much of the entrepreneurial world. But uh, but I think it's important to have that to, to know that these things out there because certain things, um, you know, if you want to get them out to patients, may it may be a better route than the more traditional route. So I think it's you know I think that was that was a pretty big eye opener. Uh, and I was able to sort of develop that when I when I was subsequently in Boston. Then, so I, you know that would be one thing that I would say. I know you're wearing a number of different hats in your current roles, but could you explain to our listeners, Justin, specifically what it is that you're doing right now? So uh, basically, I would say I would divide it into sort of three areas, well, four areas probably. So there's the clinical area, uh, which is, you know, what most people connect with a doctor. So I'm a neurosurgeon, but I'm what they call the dual trained neurosurgeon. And so what that means is I do open procedures, you know, where we put a, a cut in the skin and take windows of bone out or, or put a cut in the back and, and do spine operations. But I also do ones where I go endovascularly. So that's when you put a, a tube often through the groin or through the radial artery in the wrist. And then you can go and, and fix things, you know, intravascular, we call it. So endovascularly. So that's sort of the clinical work I do. And so, you know, that brings me in often out of hours to, to do strokes or patients with aneurysms, that sort of thing. And also do brain tumors and those sort of things. So that's a clinical load. Then we, there's a teaching load. So we have a, a, a lot of registrars and residents who are trainee doc, uh, tra- they're doctors, but they're training to subspecialize as, as, as brain surgeons. And so there's an element of teaching there as well. And the teaching is not only in the sort of, you know, the medical areas, but also, in, you know, sort of like life, leadership, that sort of stuff. Uh, the third element is research. Uh, and I have two particular interests. One is cerebrovascular, which is the strokes and aneurysms. The other is neuro-oncology, which is, which is the brain tumors. Uh, and so that's, that's the sort of third element. And then the fourth element, which I'm doing a lot now as the, as the, as the head of the department, it's the leadership stuff. So it's liaising with the hospital and, and the university and the organization to get, you know, get platforms up and running, be it clinical platform or research platform, ensure that you get the right, you know, cutting edge equipment that's going to increase safety or patient, uh, you know, efficacy or increase the uh, efficiency of the organization. And so that also takes up a, a chunk of time. So they're the sort of four like large buckets that I'm working in. I think you said last time, Justin, that some of your surgeries, the longer ones in particular, can last hours. Yes. As in, I think you said uh, the 14 hours. 16 hours. 16 hours, like a, a long time. Do you ever get nervous 
as a professional that you know does this for a job ahead of a surgery like how do you how do you stay on top of it all and and stay calm yeah i think i mean you i think you always with a with a complex case i think there's always a little bit of a I wouldn't say nervousness, but anticipation. You know, it's almost like a you know athlete going out onto the onto the track or onto the field. You know, you want to do your best there, right? So, and there's a lot of preparation. Obviously, you've looked at the films, you've spoken many times to the patient, all these sort of things, and so you sort of want to get out and deliver. So, there's always an element of sort of a- anticipation energy. Um, I'm generally not too anxious. I think I've seen you know. I've seen, uh, you know, I think I see most things that can happen under the sun by now. So that doesn't, I'm not really phased that I'm going to see, see something that I haven't seen. And I'm also, I'm confident that I'll, I'll, you know, I'm very agile. And so I'm confident that if something new comes up, I'll be able to deal with it. Um, I probably get a little more anxious when I'm teaching. Is that right? In front, in what, in front of the, the lecture theater or the classroom? No, no, like in the OR. So, you know, like, like guiding, some of these trainees through their first sort of sets of operations so you know it's a it's a sort of an apprentice model it's give and take and so there's always this like how how much should you know should you let them do versus when you take over you know because you want them to grow and develop but obviously you don't want them to make any errors so it's this you know you've got this this sort of tension about when to take on so i think that's a little more challenging um and you know, it's just something that you have to, you know, you, the patient safety is always number one. But then the second is, you know, you need to develop the next the next generation of surgeons, or else we won't have them. And so, you know, it, it's it's important to balance those. Two. Are there a lot of good ones coming through, Justin? Oh, we've got some terrific ones. So, you know, I think the uh, Australian community is in very good hands from that from the people that I'm seeing come through. You've written over uh, 100 peer-reviewed papers. So what do you consider some of the most impactful findings from your research and how have they contributed to the, the broader field of neurosurgery? So, you know, I, I'm, I'm proud of, you know, some of the ones where we discovered genes and their functions. Obviously, that's sort of foundational work, but that, you know, that takes, you know, many decades to then get translated into to actual patient, you know, uh, outcomes. But you know, some of the a lot of the stuff we do, you know, that I've been doing in neurosurgery is 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 much more clinically um, uh, relevant immediately. So I'd say like some of the stuff that we've done really well is working out. We, we put in a lot of devices. So when we treat aneurysms, we you can think of a bit like cardiac stents. We put stents in the brain, and we put coils, we put various things in to get rid of aneurysms, open vessels up, this sort of thing. And so some of our work was delineating what other drugs you should be on at the time, like and these were antiplatelet, anticoagulant drugs, to stop you getting strokes post that. And what we found was using specific regimes, you could actually reduce the stroke rate, you know, significantly. And so, you know, that sort of data is, you know, invaluable because it sort of changes the field overnight in that now everybody makes sure they give these drugs, make you know, make sure that you have this amount of anticoagulation on board to prevent uh, clots forming. And, you know, if you think about it at a sort of global level, you know, we've probably saved hundreds of thousands of people, you know, from having strokes, you know, post-operatively. So, you know, that, that that's a sort of very big and proud moment. You have a, a direct impact. Um, a lot, uh, some of the other work that we're very proud of is we, deline- we did a lot of the f- foundational work of new devices called flow diverters, which are a new thing 
to treat aneurysms. They're sort of less new now, but they were new you know, 10 years ago uh, when we were doing a lot of this work. And I think delineating the efficacy and usefulness of these devices, you know, basically increase the the surgeon's, um, you know, sort of repertoire of tools, you know, significantly. And, and all of a sudden aneurysms that we previously just couldn't deal with, you know, we'd have to just say like, you're going to take your chances. And of course, bad outcomes follow, you know, when nature takes its course, we're all of a sudden able to treat. And so these patients, you know, which had sort of, you know, almost like a death sentence over them, all of a sudden they're treated and, you know, the, the aneurysm goes away and they're like magically cured. It's, it's pretty remarkable. Justin, collaboration often plays a crucial role in medical research and practice. Do you find that your brothers and sisters in neurosurgery across the world are a tight-knit group where you're constantly swapping notes and tactics and ideas from, say, people in the United States or Europe or, or in Asia or South America? Well, I mean, what's the fraternity like of sharing information for the greater good? Yes, it's a pretty close-knit group. And one of the things is, you know, neurosurgery conditions, you know, like they're not they're not super common. It's not like blood pressure or diabetes. And so we really need to sort of band together so we can get uh, enough numbers to 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 research things properly. And also because, you know, certain conditions you might only see, you know, five of them a year at any given center, if you want to do a control trial in that, then you need a whole bunch of centers to get involved, you know, to get the numbers up so you can prove the treatment works or, or not. So we do do a lot of collaborations. Uh, we do, you know, obviously I do a lot with the States. Uh, we've also done, you know, a, a bunch with the UK and Europe. It's it's generally a friendly group and, you know, we've sort of started to build, we have sort of structures and, and customs that we do to help, you know, help move that along. So, you know, we, we often have lead, like a lead, you know, hospital with a lead PI there that will, do a lot of the grunt work, and then the the other the other teams, you know, the other hospitals will then add on to that and and follow that lead. And we sort of, you know, if you lead one thing, someone else will lead another thing. So you often have multiple projects going simultaneously, so data can go both ways. I mean, the the, the one rider, of course, is with the sharing data. You just have to make very sure that you follow all your hospital protocols, make sure everything's uh you know uh, anonymous. You know, you gotta have the usual security checks, but you know that's that's pretty standard, so it's not usually an issue. But then, it, you know, you can increase the number of patients in your studies, you know, a ten x factor, and that makes them much more powerful. So we do we do tend to do a lot of collaboration. Um, it's one of the fun things about being in neurosurgery. Balancing a career in neurosurgery with academia and research, I imagine, is extremely demanding. So, how do you manage to juggle? everything effectively yeah it's it's a t- it's definitely a tough gig i would say that i'm chronically time poor it's one of those 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 sort of issues that you know if you want to do all this like that's part of the price like nothing you, you know everything has a price and and so being time poor is one of the prices that i pay i, I would say important things to get balance is you need to be organized and i use a system called personal okrs which are objectives key results and so you just need to know what actually matters because there's often there's what, what there's important things and then there's urgent things and they often don't overlap. So what often happens is important things which aren't urgent get pushed, you know, so and never get done. So I think it's important that you sort of really think about and spend some time reflecting on what is actually important and then make sure those things come to the fore and that you're working on them. So that's one thing I think is organization. I think two 
you know, exercise is important. Um, you know, when I when I did the uh, where I got uh, my John Lynch, I was you know a, a state level athlete. Now I've continued to to to, to do it. You know, in in, of, in what in what Justin? So I was in um, track and field and cross country and marathon. So I you know and I uh, of course you are a marathon runner as well. Throw that into the mix. I, I represented Oxford in the London Marathon there a couple of times, uh, and so as, as part of you know the Blues team against uh, Cambridge. Unfortunately, we did not win. They had a very good, they had some very good teams, but we gave them, a, you know, we gave them a good shake. But I think that's important to keeping, you know, keeping fit and healthy and being able to handle it all. Because physically, doing a lot of things like, you know, doing all these things is demanding. So I think that's important. Don't forget the family. So you know, I think it's important to make sure family or friends or you know that sort of larger context. Make sure that you also, just like you would for research and for your clinical work, it's important to carve out some good quality time to have with the people that you love, because that you know that that, that that's very important. That gives you strength, because you know who is the Australian community? It's like your family and friends. So you're sort of working for them. You want to make sure that you know you spend some time with them too. Given your experience, what advice uh, would you like to give to aspiring? doctors, neurosurgeons, researchers who are looking to make a meaningful impact in in your line of work? Yeah, I mean, I think so. For me, I think make sure you know your North Star and, you know, if it's patient impact, then make sure that's, you know, that's my North Star. Make sure it is. If it's, you know, getting a, you know, Nobel Prize, then know that. If it's, you know, making sure that, you know, you work at this certain place, make sure you know that. So I think the key is like, be honest with yourself so you know what you, you know, really want to do. And then, I, uh, you know, secondly, I think, think big. Um, I, I'm a big fan of big goals. Like, you know, humans tend to un- uh, overestimate what they can do in a few years, but underestimate what they can do over 10 years or, or, or longer. So, you know, think big. There's no reason why you couldn't achieve, you know, big things with, with enough time. And then and then the, 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 the sort of caveat to that, be persistent. Things don't, you know, just happen in, in a day. You've got to sort, you know, build up, you know, build up your skill sets, build up your resources and have that North Star in front of you. So over the long term, you, you'll get there. So I think they're, they're sort of three, three things that I would do. I want to finish, Justin, with a question on the value of postgraduate education. Why are you a fan of continued study and how can it contribute to professional learning? Well, I think it's it's sort of fundamental. I mean, there's multiple ways you can do it. It doesn't necessarily mean you have to do a degree or something like that. There's, you know, shorter courses, you know, I think, but I think there's, there's, there's something for everybody. And, you know, I think one of the key things in the modern world is things don't stay, you know, they, they, don't, they don't stay the same. There's constant change. And if you want to, you want to make an impact, and you want to really move things forward, then you need to keep up with that. Because otherwise, you know, if you're working on something that's already outdated, it's not going to go anywhere. So I, you know, I would be looking at it, and for, especially for young people out there at the moment, you know, you really want to get into your mindset continuous learning. You're going to be learning all the way through your life, and you know, that's 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 challenging, but also a lot of fun because often that you know, when you learn something new, that's often when you get that real sense of achievement and interest so you know i really am a fan of that life learning mentality and so you know i think i think you need to do it if you want to be successful but i also think it'll make you successful in life uh because you'll have you'll have greater satisfaction and, and, and interest so you know that i'd say that's fundamental professor justin moore phd fantastic to talk to you again you're a true force of nature keep going and 
welcome back to Australia and all the very best in the future. Thanks so much. Look forward to being on the podcast in another couple of years. Hopefully have some more stories. You're very welcome to come back. Thank you.